Hey, before we start, I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone that listened to the first episode of this podcast. I'd also like to give a huge shout out to Lydia, who was awesome and super patient while recording this episode. Unfortunately, I lost some of the audio files while going through airport security, but I was able to piece it all together and I still think the episode came out really awesome. So enjoy the second episode of Well Fed. The art of understanding photography and explaining it to people and kind of thinking about like the medium, the, the channels and the mediums of like how you express photography was an art in itself. So like, for example, during my A-level, you know, you A-level art, photography, take a picture. And my mom was like, well, you know, if you don't want to take a picture, why don't you write an essay about photography? That's also an output. And I think she kind of like set me free from the torture of being like, well, I'm not actually that good at drawing. I'm actually that good at taking photographs, but I know an awful lot about like, what a photograph should feel like and I know how to like communicate that and yeah she kind of like introduced me to a lot of different um frameworks that help set up what I know to be good as a job so I'm very thankful. So my uh my guest on this episode of Well Fed is Lydia Pang. Thank you so much Hi. for taking the time to sit with me today. For those who aren't familiar Lydia is a creative director at Refinery29, a digital media company focused on young women Previously, she was the brand aesthetics director at Anomaly, and prior to that, she also spent five years as the head of visual content at the advertising agency NC Saatchi in London. That's right. Um, you had dim sun earlier today. I did, yeah. And where did you go? Um, this morning, I got up super early, and I went to Jing Fong. It's a good spot. You have to wait, get a ticket from a really, really mean Chinese lady, <laughs> and she will scream your number over the microphone when it's your time, but I waited like half an hour for the table. Is that your favorite spot? It is my favorite spot, <laughs> because it reminds me the most of Hong Kong. Like You have like the little old ladies that pull the, push the trolleys, and then you can like pull dim sum off the different trolleys, and it's super loud. It's, it's, it's enormous in there. I think I saw a little bit on Instagram. Yeah. It's like this big room, lots of tables. And is it just dumplings? Do you order anything else? And you can get anything, like literally anything. Sure. And they've also kind of clocked on that, like, you know, the millennials have started to find out. And so they've got like, <laughs> like drinks trolleys where they're like, mimosa with your dim sum. Sure. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You kind of mentioned that uh, it reminded you of Hong Kong. And I'd love to dive into yeah. that a little bit later on. But on your site, LydiaPang.com, mm-hmm. you introduce yourself and you're about page as a Welsh-born half-Chinese goth, art history <laughs> geek, and feminist. And yeah. I'd like to kind of go in and dive deeper into that and start from sort of the beginning. Sure. Who was Lydia as a kid? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so yeah, I suppose I say that because it does really wrap up like everything I'm about and mm-hmm. the kind of person I suppose I've crafted. I was born in Wales, a really small um, sort of village. Kind of, It's like a little town. South Wales, very underwhelming place, very grey, not a lot of creativity, but I was born into a very creative family, which was super cool. Both my parents, really entrepreneurial, both like artistic spirits. My mum always had like galleries in our house and she was a photographer. My dad's an amazing artist and really entrepreneurial. So yeah, I was very much like pushed by both my parents to like embrace all the different cultures. Obviously I was born in Wales. I'm half Chinese. My dad's from Hong Kong. Um, And so yeah, I was a strange teen, but a very confident one. I was very artistic. I loved school, loved people, like always used to like kind of have creative projects going even when I was really, really young. I was super into MySpace, big MySpace kid. <laughs> I actually met my boyfriend who I've been with nearly 13 years on MySpace. Um, so yeah, I think MySpace was like a really good metaphor for like what it was like to live in Wales. It's like depressing and boring. And it's like almost of, a place to escape. Exactly. It was a platform Ex- to do that. Exactly. And also to be creative with like, everything from like hacking it and making it feel like cool and reflect you it was like Mm. the first sort of 
it was the first time I thought about self-branding and like the power of like color and design and the image images. It was the first time I really didn't know it, but I was sure. self-branding and like playing around with what design meant to me before I even decided to do history of art as a degree. So yeah, I was, just, I was a very creative, confident uh, teenager. It made me think too, because I had a MySpace, but um, the design choices I made when I figured out I can customize it were terrible. And were not <laughs> a reflection of, of me today, which is yeah. kind of funny. Um, I mean, my Hello Goodbye kicked in when you went online. Sure. <laughs> nice. So your mom has kind of been a, or you mentioned that your mom was always bringing you around photography. Yeah. Know? What kind of photographs were they? What so, kind of shows were they? My mom is a natural portrait photographer. So she actually was really inspired by photographers like Sally Mann, who is you know, famously known for like contentious images of her children as they grew up and mm. like capturing like this cusp between childhood and teenagehood. So my mum was really into like exploring like the maternal gaze and used to take loads of pictures of us in the garden. So I was always very aware of like the image and like authorship and those things from a very young age. Um And then, yeah, she used to just have shows in our house. She, she did a photography degree quite late in life, like we were a little older. Um And in our living room, she would curate photography shows, art shows. And so despite being from a very, not very a creative sort of town, I was always surrounded by creative people and, and stuff. Like my mum very much made me feel like anything was possible, that like you could have a show even in your home. And yeah. if it was cool, people would come, you know? Um, and so, yeah, my mum very much pushed me to find out what I was about. I wouldn't have known that that was even a job really if had I not like been around here. Like sure. curation, art direction, that's definitely not something that, my little Welsh comprehensive school offered up as a potential career. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I think growing up, I was always kind of, you know, in the simplest form, like coloring and books and stuff. And right. my mom was very creative when I was younger, but it seems like the pushes in kind of the school system and as you're growing up is like, do something with finances behind it. So like architecture. And yeah. I was like, it didn't really stuck with me as much uh, growing up. But, Completely. Um, my dad is like, my dad always used to say to me, and he's like super wise, great, a great businessman, but also very creative. He used to say to me, find something that you really, really like doing every single day. If it's something you're passionate about and eventually someone will pay you to do it. Yeah. And like following that kind of like rule is like served me really well. I love, I love that idea as well. You, you mentioned, you know, do something, if you do something cool, people will naturally be attracted. Totally. And I know some, you know, whether it be in business or in you know, corporate America, whatever, always the first, it's never the first idea no. and people never rely on that. But I, and I, maybe I'm naive for thinking that because I very much kind of agree that you don't do it for, you almost do it for yourself right. because you think it's cool and totally. then someone's going to connect with it, whether it be one or two or 500 or whatever. Completely. It's the purity of that output. If it's like something that is truly like your original creation and you believe in it, then I feel like it's going to be way more powerful than when it gets watered down by a million opinions. Mm. Your mom, um, she introduced you to the likes of like Rowan Barts and yeah. um, John Berger, which I, I actually didn't know of at first, but um, he did like a video series on photography. Yeah, that's right. And I didn't even know You're it was like amazing. a film. It was like a weird like episode, of, like a series of episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, what was it about photography that attracted you to it, that invited you to continue looking and, and exploring that? I think it was like, I always felt so moved by images and I think... For a long time, I tried to resolve the fact that I was never a much of a maker and I had super bad imposter syndrome. Like I used to feel really bad about the fact that I didn't know how to use a camera or I didn't know how to like physically design. But like, <laughs> sorry, Betty, <laughs> Betty. my dog okay. trying to get my attention. But my mum kind of made me realize by introducing me to those sort of like theorists that actually the art of understanding photography and explaining it to people and kind of 
thinking about like the medium that the channels and the mediums of like how you express photography was an art in itself so like for example during my a-level you know you a-level photography take a picture and my mom was like well you know if you don't want to take a picture why don't you write an essay about Mm -hmm. photography that's also an output and I think she kind of like set me free from the torture of being like well I'm not actually that good at drawing I'm actually that good at taking photographs but I know an awful lot about like what a photograph should feel like Mm -hmm. and I know how to like communicate that and yeah she kind of like introduced me to a lot of different um frameworks that help set up what I know to be did as a job so I'm very thankful so it was it was very much that you were interested in photography but it wasn't the conventional oh well I should pick up a camera no I I never picked up a camera ever that's crazy yeah I was just fascinated by like the power of the image to make you feel a certain way and obviously that inevitably led me into branding and advertising because like you said you know you got to commercialize that art yeah <laughs> you know you can't just go to art school so I was like okay well I'm gonna do an art history degree I'm gonna learn about how to speak about this work analyze it technically mm-hmm. um I specialized in you know, you know like I focused my area of study around surrealist documentary photography and so um I just really was passionate about explaining images and, and thinking about all the things that go into them so yeah and that's inevitably what my first job was my first job was an art buyer at MNC Saatchi and it was an awesome job. I spent the whole day looking through photography books, photography portfolios, and picking which photographer should shoot which campaign. Like mm. making those decisions, knowing a lot about photography, knowing about like the system and the industry, and then matching that photographer and their eye with the right brief. It was just like the perfect first job. Before we, before I ask about art, art buying, having grown up with your mother, uh, learning photography, exploring and, and curating art uh, throughout the home as you're growing up. Mm. Um, now that you're kind of in the position where you're curating and you're working on pieces and commissioning, you know, artists, do you guys ever talk about it and critique it? Does she ever give you feedback in totally. a way? Like, what is what are some of the things that you guys kind yeah, of... Yeah, we, we definitely still do that now. I feel like my mom's opinion to me is, like, legendary. Like, mm-hmm. she's, like, she critiques and she sees things through such an, an incredibly, like, emotional lens, which is, like, so rare. And I think that's what makes her so good at what she does. Like, she recently actually took the gallery that I was explaining to you that she's been running in our living room for, like, 20-odd years um, and actually took the leap to get a space and have a proper big gallery of her own mm-hmm. literally last week. And so this has been, like, a really important month for her. And um, it's interesting. For somebody who I think is so naturally talented and able to, like, connect with images, she's really underconfident. Sure. So she's constantly asking for my validation, but then equally, despite the fact that I work for a big company now in New York and she thinks that's like really fancy and shiny, I constantly seek out her validation for the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I do hold my work up to the standards of will my mum feel like moved by this or like this is sure. important. And I think that's why I inevitably ended up at a mission driven company because I was always kind of ingrained in me to think about, um, to think about that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, it, the shoes on the other foot now where you're, you're, you're sharing this kind of conversation back and forth, this feedback loop with your mom. And when you just mentioned that, it was so cool that she was curating and having these shows yeah, so like cool. in your house. Like, you know, I think of that, I'm like, that's so badass. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. And now that she's actually kind of trying to do it in a more formal space, she's like a little like hesitant and stuff like that. But like, I think it's, it's partially because of like then, then it was just so natural. Yeah. It was like, yeah, we're doing cool stuff. But almost like this generation now, like our generation has kind of figured out ways of almost like formalizing it and almost monetizing on it that like that generation is sort of catching up on now. Completely. I completely agree. That is exactly it. And it's funny how 
the pre- she feels more pressure having taken the leap to save the world. I deserve a premise versus mm. the casual nature of having it in your home, which is almost like tin yeah. up, don't I don't care, I sleep yeah. here anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because actually my mum is really, really good at, um, like social media branding. Like she's really good at like taking to understanding how to like manipulate like the chat, a channel. Like she runs like a really, a really good Instagram. It's like really beautiful. And I think she's so under confidence with technology. Um, so she has her own, which is Sonia Pang. And then she has gallery at home, which is her like gallery's Instagram, which is yeah, super cool. It's like, (laughs) it is what it is. Um, but she posts a lot of like photography and like, she really like raises up, um, female voices in that area. Cause you know, there's not a lot of platforms where we're from for creativity, let alone like female creatives. Mm. Um, and she takes that really seriously, which I think is really cool. But it's interesting because even though it's not in the home, it really does feel like our home. Still, it has like all the same like feelings about it, and she's mm-hmm. stolen like a load of furniture from our house and like put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. house is slowly getting yeah, easier. Totally. Every visit. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you went to to uh, art school or an art program, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't so much the kind of or your kind of path wasn't conventional of like picking up a camera or no. picking up. A, it was more writing and learning how to articulate those kind of feelings. Um, but it, it kind of seems like you had already, uh, always knew that you wanted to follow that like kind of creative path. I did. What would you say is, has been something, you know, what you've taken or what you've learned from actually going through a program, you know, an art school that, uh, you know, isn't necessarily you making photographs, but maybe, you know, if you kind of explain more on that. Yeah, definitely. I think I, like I said, I was very confident about who I was. I loved like expressing myself through like clothing and like I was very like interested in like reading and surrounding myself with art and I knew that I wanted to do study art history and inform myself but I also had like terrible like imposter syndrome I went to a super fancy university the Courtauld Institute super fancy um I'm pretty sure I was the only person that had been to like a comp which is like a public school you know? sure, okay. um and so I got there and I was like I don't belong here this is really awkward but then you know it really built up my confidence to to realize that actually it wasn't about the fact those guys, a lot of people on my course already knew how to speak Latin and they'd already studied classics and art history was something they offered at their fancy schools. And that cool. certainly was not the case at the school I went to, despite having such a creative childhood. Um, and so the first year I really struggled. I was definitely like, I didn't do well. And I was kind of like, this isn't the place I'm supposed to be. Um, so I think at a very young age, I actually had a moment of like, okay, wait a minute. I need to stop trying to like mimic what is around me because I'm never going to be as good as those people. I need to just do my own thing. And actually learning that so young to just like follow what you're about and see it pay off. Cause I inevitably got a first and the highest first in the university that the highest like grade in the Mm. university was like such a massive sense of like validation of like, it's really important to just like focus on what you're about. Like I remember midway through my dissertation, which is like the final exam, the final essay, I um, changed the subject matter because I was following something that I thought I should be writing about and I wanted to be like my peers and I wanted to appear, you know, confident, like everything was effortless to me. And that's like something that I definitely, as a demon, I struggle with. Like I like everything to be, appear effortless. Um, And so during that degree, learning to like, you know, present in front of people, be a little more human, a little more vulnerable about what I was good at and what I wasn't. And then inevitably choosing the subject that I did meant that I completed the dissertation in half the time because I was following what I truly was interested in versus like trying to kind of mold myself into a funny shape. And my whole career has been a bit like that. Like a big takeaway from my degree was just like, 
follow what you're interested in and it will pay off. You will get a good grade. You will do well. And that's what happened. And similarly with my career, I've always been like, oh, I'm not a designer. I'm not quite a copywriter. I'm not quite a strategist. And like, I floated in between all these different pockets of like, you know, people like to box you into a discipline. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it made me feel really vulnerable for years. And then I was just like, actually, I'm going to just let that be my superpower. The fact that I'm a little bit good at everything and that's fine. As I was doing, kind of looking through, you know, your experience, your background, I think that's something that's been um, hard for, you know, as you said, like, it's it's almost like a natural thing where I'm like, you know, are you a designer totally. or are you a photographer? And it, mm-hmm. it's almost, sub- it's not like I'm purposely doing it, it's yeah, very yeah. subconsciously. But um, your background is very much a wide spread of things. But I think, like you said, you've come to own that. Um, but you also kind of touched on, you know, after that first year that you had to kind of stop yourself and take a step back and, and think about what you were good at. Was this also kind of the time that you started to um, think about, you know, on a little bit less serious note, like mm-hmm. your style and your, and totally. your kind of like, you know, was that in the that process as well? 100%. I'm actually glad that you, you said that because it came to mind after I finished speaking. Like I was always like, you know, little emo girl, had a very <laughs> like specific style, but like standard MySpace. Mm-hmm. Um it's quite tragic to watch an Asian girl try and put blonde streaks in her hair, though. They were like bright ginger. <laughs> that was a mistake. But yeah, going to uni, I definitely wore a lot of different um, sort of metaphorical clothing. I was trying on different types of people I wanted to be. And that's like a point of the first year of uni. Oh, yeah. Um, but Copy yeah. and like, totally. look, like imitate the people that you admire. 100%. So you can like at least understand why they do it. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the, it's interesting because like the threads of like who I am as a person, I've always been like very alternative you know, super into um, that kind of music and that kind of scene. And I was always, since before my degree, really um, influenced aesthetically by like surrealism in any way, shape or form. And that's what I inevitably ended up um, focusing on in my degree, which is why I did well, because I followed something I liked. Um, But my style definitely crystallized during that time. Mm -hmm. Like my second and third year of uni, I broke away from, you know, a certain set of friends that I felt like I should have been hanging with and just kind of went alone a little which is unusual because I think people often spend uni like getting super drunk, like solidifying those friendships sure, yeah. for life. And yeah, I kind of yeah. didn't do that. Um, my, Rue and I have been together a really long time. We were together through uni and we've always been each other's um, kind of like support system. So yeah, I didn't do that in uni and it was, I was, it was good. It was a good, it was good for me to kind of break away from that culture and just focus on, you know, growing as a person and like figuring out what I wanted to do, but I definitely pushed it. You know, that's like sometimes the biggest miss with some people that go through programs, you know, or university. It's mm-hmm. like, they don't actually spend that time finding themselves. Right. And that could be a number of things, right? It could be finding your, your style, your, your kind of your voice, whatever that you're interested in. And it doesn't happen till later on. And, and it's almost like it's the perfect time to really separate yourself and, or take that time to yourself to really kind of you know develop and learn the things. 100%. And also what a luxury. Like I look back now mm-hmm. and I'm like, what wonderful, what wonderful three years I had in London, like just, just learning and like trying to like grow as a human, like it's such a luxury and what a wonderful thing to do. And like London's a great place to do that. Like style wise, it's like, so like London just like pushes it. Like yeah. there is like, so, so eclectic and everyone is really like pushing as hard as they can to like figure themselves out in public. Sure. Whereas I feel like in New York, it's a little more like uniform and people like go home and do their crying. Whereas if you're like, (laughs) people go out there and they just like push it and test. And I think I definitely did that. Um, and now I'm definitely a version of of that person. So it's still the same sort of thing. I only have read about like, you know, great art programs in in Europe and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you kind of mentioned that like people are really pushing themselves, you know, was there anything that outside of school, outside of, uh, 
that you really kind of enjoy and love, like the culture? Was there any pieces yeah, of that? Totally. I mean, the food scene in London is amazing. Yeah. Um, some friends of mine actually started up this um, super cool, like, can I, what can I be described as like a, a sort of pop-up restaurant type thing sure. in Peckham? And then a, a, one of our best friends who was doing a design degree with Rue at St. Martin's decided to open like an old school Hong Kong, like it's called Dai Pai Dong, which is like a very chilled cafe. And he like handmade his own noodles and like it was called Boss Lady. And then he made his own zine and he like illustrated it. And I that's think cool. that's such a perfect example of like that pulse in London. Mm-hmm. And it's just like no judgment. It's not measured against any fucking KPI. There's no like success doesn't <laughs> look like anything. It doesn't look like an amount yeah. of followers. It's just like doing a thing for you. Mm. whereas I've definitely noticed through um you know being in New York like three years now it's taught New York has taught me a lot of like hustle and a lot of amazing things but I do think sometimes there are things that people do here for the sake of other people mm-hmm. whereas in London I think a lot of the scene is built based on you know what people want to do for themselves which feels a little more authentic I wanted to also kind of ask about uh going back to your style you know were there were there any specific people or icons that you were looking at when you were younger and then who are you looking at today, you know, that you admire in terms of what they're doing in fashion and stuff yeah. like that? That's such a good question. And one I've always found really hard to answer. Mm-hmm. I think my best friend has really good style. She's kind of, again, like an example of that London scene of just sort of like always, like she used to color her eyebrows in pink and I, she always used to look like crazy and ridiculous. But like, I love the fact that she just wasn't doing it for anyone else. She just used to do what she wanted. Sure. Um, so she's always been a massive inspiration to me. When I was younger, I was really inspired by like my culture. So like I'm half Chinese, like I said, and I was always really inspired by like any kind of like twist or Asian like design. I spent a lot of time in Hong Kong during the summers when I was a kid um, living there. And I think I was always seeking out anything, anything that made me feel different, like mm-hmm. anything you couldn't get from where I was from. And like, so anything that I could get when I was like on vacation in Hong Kong or anything I could get through my family like I would, I was always heavily inspired by those designs and those like kinds of, kinds of materials and that kind of aesthetic. And I still am now very much so. Um, people that inspired me, I, I, I suppose I've always been, I've always been pretty shit at answering this question because I feel like I, people want me to give like style answers that are stylish people, but I don't have that. I have like photographers that I find interesting. Like I've always been really inspired by the women in any photograph by Man Ray. They're like super angular haircuts and they're like, very like graphic dark makeup i've always loved that um and i think that's a great point though that like um you could your your style your fashion your clothes that you wear can very much be influenced by other things like i for example i know a designer who would say that what inspires his work is architecture and maybe that's a little bit closer in terms but like you pull elements from that that you are really attracted to and you try to analyze them and make sense of why you're into them completely that's that's definitely so true i feel like my style has been very like simple and like monochromatic and like I've always liked you sort of utility fabrics and anything that feels a little yes yeah, surreal or like photographic and graphic which I know is a bit strange but like even I'm like a big fan of really dark makeup and I've always found it so like fun and therapeutic putting makeup on in the morning which is ironic because I'm such a like violent feminist and yeah it's like makeup has always been this like mask for women to hide behind mm-hmm. or to feel bad about themselves but I've always found it such a tool of empowerment. I just like love putting on makeup. I love like dressing up and it feel, feeling like theatrical and purposeful. And so, yeah, I've always been a big fan of, of makeup and kind of, yeah, anything like severe or graphic. Always a big fan of like, um, kind of like I said, like any sort of like Asian Oriental cultures. 
we were we recently went to Japan actually, which was so amazing for me. I want to go so badly. Yeah, it's I so too. good. I mean, that flight is brutal. Yeah, right. But it is really, really amazing. Come out the gates um, on the other side. And you're just yeah, like, oh. it's so good. Like, <laughs> I've been, a, I've like loved Ray Kawakugu, like the founder and designer at, at Dover Street Market and Comedy Gasson. Uh, forever like mm-hmm. I always used to go to Dover Street Market when I lived in London and I had no money but I would almost treat it as like a museum sure. you know I would go and like look at all the like shapes and I loved the way that the clothing felt like it she like very purposely makes women look and feel bigger versus like trying to make women feel and look small mm-hmm. and I felt like I didn't really know it but it's, it's such a f- sort of feminist choice to like take up space and to feel like big in your clothing and then not try and like reduce yourself or like um yeah, so that's always been something that's really inspired me, those shapes. Um, so going to Japan recently and going to the original Dover Street Market um, in Ginza in Tokyo was just, like, amazing. Like, the set design in there and, like, the choices. Like, there was this beautiful sculpture um, while I was there that I, f- I found really inspiring and is actually now the designer who's designing my wedding dress because I'm getting married next year. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. It's been really fun, like, co-designing it with her. That's, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's always, the best project ever. I always wanted, like, the designer in me is, like, I don't care... I don't care about some of the other details. The one thing that I'm like holding to myself is like, I want a book at the end of this whole campaign. Oh, yeah, I want a book. Yeah. I want a nicely design. I want to have images that I can flip through. That's the one thing that I want to like have more kind of input on versus yeah. like, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be, I'm not, I don't know anybody cool enough to like design me a, a truck or something <laughs> like that. So I'm, and I'm also like not nearly as tuned in, um, as into fashion as, and that's why I kind of wanted to ask you about it so I can like, you know, go back and take some notes. <laughs> I'm actually really not at all tuned to fashion, <laughs> like at all. I think people think, think I am because I, I really love clothes and I make, I make, you know, no apologies about that. I'm very loud about my opinion about clothes, but I'm just more into like style more generally. I definitely mm. don't follow like, um, fashions or trends I don't feel sure. like I'm fashionable I pretty much dress like this for the last like 15 years but I think I think there's in in fashion like that's part of fashion right like, you right. own it like that's it's just more about the attitude in a sense versus right. like yes following like, I know people that are oh check out I got the new like Ralph yeah Simmons no I'm not like yeah I'm not <laughs> that either. you know after you know graduating school and and moving did you have any plans once you came out of university like what was on the radar yeah I'm definitely a girl with a plan you know I knew I wanted to move to London I had my eyes set on that uh, university and so when I finished I to be honest I was kind of sad like I I loved it so much that so much self-growth and so much like deep immersion inside like amazing art and like yeah, I loved it. So I was kind of sad when I left. Um, so much so that I decided to um, go and do more studying at St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did an art direction, which was basically like a short course. But I was suddenly aware that like art history was very theoretical. A lot of my peers were going on to either set up galleries with their parents' money or <laughs> um, become lawyers, convert sure. to law. And I was like, well, I don't do, want to do either of those things. So like, yeah. what is my thing? And I um, I done a shitload of internships. I will give my younger self a lot of credit for that. Like a lot of people chilled and hung out during summer. My best friend and I, we were very, very driven. And I think our careers show that now because, you know, I'm 30, I'm a creative director. I'm very young to be a creative director. I'm aware of that. Um, but I put in a lot of work up front, you know, I did a lot of internships. So when I was, when I graduated, I, I knew that I wanted to go into branding. It's interesting because I knew more about what I wanted my day to look like than what I wanted my title to be. So I was like, I know that I want to spend my day looking at images, meeting interesting people. I want to be on set. I want to work with creatives. I want to work to create images that make people feel differently or move people or communicate a message. I know I want to do that. So 
I think I'm like now I'm like I was so smart. Most people would be like, okay, well I know I want this title, I want this salary, sure. but um, so the, the the nearest I could get to that was advertising. And for all its sins, advertising has been amazing. It's, it's taught me a lot, and I met a load of incredible people. So. Yeah, I um, applied for MNC Saatchi. I applied for an internship. They had no internships in the creative department. It was super competitive. So I applied to be an account manager, which I don't know if this is the same in the US, but like the person that deals with the client yeah. and the mm-hmm. money, which I would be terrible at. <laughs> so I applied for it almost in the hope that like I would evidence during the interview process that I clearly belonged on the creative department. Yeah, right. I, I've thought yeah. of that before. It's yeah. like there's no designer roles or something. <laughs> exactly. Like, let me go for like the HR thing and then, like totally convince them. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. But you know what? It worked. Like I went and applied for this internship. I got through the first round of a couple of rounds of interview and you know I, t- I remember turning up for the interview my dad god bless his soul he drove me all the way up from Wales to London and it was really snowy that day and I was so nervous and I was wearing some ridiculous outfit like an oversized black suit that I thought looked really Condé Gasson on and like my crazy black lipstick and I walked in and everyone was like very straight laced like perfect sure, yeah. suits and I was just like oh no and then I didn't have my resume printed. Instead, I built a um, suitcase. But when you opened it, and a washing line sort of like erected itself and hung from it with, on different pegs were objects that explained my like experience. Mm-hmm. So I basically built this tiny little installation that like, yeah, like encompassed a, set, a whole set, a set basically, <laughs> like a maquette, like a tiny little thing. Um, it was humiliating. I got it there and I was just like, oh my God, I feel so embarrassed. Like, I just don't belong here. I'm going to look so stupid. But, but leading up, you're like, you're like, this is going to not Yeah, I was like, this is going to be incredible. <laughs> I'm going to blow everyone out of the water. They're going to write all, about this. They're going to give me a job right yeah. away. <laughs> I was like, they're going to write about this in every magazine. And then um, just curl. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Even thinking about it now, I'm like sweating thinking about it. It was so awful. <laughs> um, but I was just so ballsy. I didn't care. So off I went and I had the interview um, and I didn't get it. And then they emailed me and were like, clearly you're not an account manager, you're crazy, <laughs> but you belong in the creative department. So they gave me an internship in the creative department, exactly what I wanted. Happened, That's awesome. Which is definitely like shows, put yourself out there and just like show, show where you're supposed to be, you know? So yeah, I was very strategic. I knew I wanted to work with visual communication and you advertising would get me on the ladder. It would get me in the right rooms and applying for the big, the best, which was MNC Saatchi at the time, um, was smart of me. It was strategic. I got in the room and I was the only kind of like, young female like I mean there was like a couple of girls Mm. and then so what happened was I started getting projects and briefs based on the fact that I was like interested in fashion and a girl so Mm. actually my being a minority in that space turned out to be incredibly powerful for me um and is the reason I quickly rose because other you know there was one senior um executive creative director who was a woman and she really like plucked me and like nurtured me and mentored me we still think stay in touch now which is really nice you eventually worked up to like being the head of visual yeah, content there i did and only in a few years it was five it was five years mm. that you were there total what what did that kind of um what did head of visual content entail and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah dig into that um i definitely did not know at the time i definitely made that title up um <laughs> but i started off as an art buyer where i said i was commissioning photographers and i think what really happened was i I was a hybrid. I was able to come up with ideas. I was an art director, but I couldn't design. Mm-hmm. Um, I got on with all the creative teams. I definitely pushed their ideas to be better, but I wasn't a creative director because I was a baby. Sure, yeah. Um, but I was strategic because I did a, did a theoretical degree. So I had like, you know, I had a good head on my shoulders and I was very good because of my degree at pitching and um, putting together like an argument as to why something was compelling. And so, like I said, my kind of superpower was being like the 
minority in that space. And that executive creative director, her name's Elspeth Lynn, um, she was, she saw something in me and she pulled me to the side and was just like, art buying is obviously an incredible craft and one that exists today, commissioning, but inevitably the industry was shifting and people weren't, you know, giving, sorry, clients weren't paying just for like a TV ad or a billboard anymore. They were aware that there was this thing called content. They needed mm-hmm. to be doing stuff online and with purpose. And so my kind of like pitch was, you know, let me be the person that works on that. Like, I know that you've got these incredible creative teams. I'm definitely not that. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck with that, but like, I can help you bring relevancy to the work you're doing. Um, and so I would work on all the pitches with her. I was kind of like her right hand. And I think she recognized that I had something valuable. I mean, I mean, I had youth on my side. I was, mm. I was, you know, a digital native. I understood how to use all those platforms that everyone was so fucking confused about. MySpace came in handy. Right. <laughs> MySpace always coming in handy. Um, and so, yeah, I knew how to like speak that language. And so one of the most significant accounts for me that I think defines what that role was, was um, we, one of our clients was um, Peroni. Mm. And so I worked with the creative team on that, the creative directors and Elspeth, this amazing woman on what that pitch would be. I kind of helped them shape what the visual branding would be kind of like a designer would, I suppose, okay. um, really gave it like a very distinct look and feel an approach to what that might look like in terms of editorial content, digital Mm -hmm. content. Is it an experience? Like kind of thinking a little bit outside the box, to be honest, purely through naivety and a lack of experience, I was able to be like, well, why not this, you know? Um, And so then, you know, we started, we started working on that and it was amazing. We pitched it. They didn't do a boring TV ad. They did this awesome thing called the House of Peroni, which I was kind of like the visual lead on, which is crazy because I was like 25. I looked it up. It looked like a really kind of it, awesome. It was so cool. You know, very edgy kind of campaign for Peroni at the time. Exactly. Especially because I think um, when that happened, which was like, you know, many years ago now, it no one was really doing like pop-ups or experiential activations mm-hmm. and connecting it back to digital and editorial content, which now at Refineries, that's like, that shit's my bread and butter. Yeah, that's like the yeah, play. Like, day. obviously, obviously mm. a pop-up, obviously 29 rooms and connecting it back to the dot-com. Like, that's just what we do now. But it was a while ago. And so I think it was quite, um, you know, it was quite ahead of its time. Yeah, it was it was great. And I think that kind of, like, explains the type of role I had. Although, yeah, head of visual content, I don't really know what that means. It was, <laughs> it was an awareness of the fact that the industry was shifting and they needed somebody that could bring cultural relevancy kind of like i remember putting influences in a deck people who were like tastemakers or people yeah. we should have as like ambassadors for this not really know what i was doing and that's like a thing now mm, you yeah. know um and then i had a couple of girls in my department one that was kind of like commissioned all the illustrators and is an amazing illustration agent now carly was still friends um and another who went on to be a photo agent so they both you know would help me they were just like super cool young girls and we were kind of like this little little team that would bring a bit of cool to the work we were doing yeah, true yeah. Did, yeah um you, you mentioned house peroni as one of the projects but i also wanted to note that you ended up working on campaigns for valentine's mm-hmm. valentine yeah the whiskey brand yeah, yeah. Uh, i never know how to pronounce it yeah um virgin as yeah. well you know were there any was was is it fair to say House Party might have been one of your favorites or were there other, there's one other, maybe another one that, that sticks out that yeah. was really good? I think House of Peroni is probably like significant in that it, the medium was so um, new for the time and it really shows the type of work that I was doing across all the different crafts. Like I was working with the team on like the experience and the PR and then I was working with the editorial team that we had in-house on like the online thing. So it kind of felt really ahead of its time, which is why I always use it as an example. Um, but the work I did on Virgin was like, you know, really special to me because I, Elspeth again, really let me like run with it. So I was kind of like, um, 
I shaped the look and feel. Um, it was very, it was like such an exciting project being able to like run, run with it. And then I commissioned, um, this amazing photographer, his name's Tom Van Sheldon, who's funnily enough now one of my best friends. Um, and we just went to South Africa and we shot like a load of images. And it was awesome because usually you'd shoot for a campaign, right? And someone would have drawn a scamp, so like an illustration. Yeah. And the client would sign off on that drawing and be like, yes, it's exactly what I want. I want mm-hmm. that. I want that cup exactly there. And it was very like, when you put it into the camera, it was almost just like piecing together something they'd already approved. Okay. But Virgin was special in that the client trusted us. They were really like forward thinking. And I was able to run it more how I knew how I knew it should be done. Like I knew that we needed to be shooting a lot with, and all those assets should be therefore ready for like every channel. So it's kind of shooting the way that we do now in the sense that we kind of like build up an archive for a brand. Like he's a visual archive of everything and this is how it should live across Instagram, across, you know, and and Tom and I did that. We shot hundreds and hundreds of images in a few days and it was so fun. We just like ran around Cape Town and like we had a couple models and we were like, okay, get them in the seat. Okay, get them out. Well, let's get this inflatable lobster. Okay, now it was just like kind of crazy and like not at all like any of the other shoots I've been on. So it was important to me because it made me realize how, you know, if you partner with the right photographer, you can really change the way a brand looks mm. um, and spend the, spend the brand's money in a really smart way because we should be giving them now all the assets for all the channels. Whereas back then we would, you know, charge a lot of money for just like one campaign. Yeah. And, and also, insane. you know, it's, 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 it's very much evolved into like you said, being on so many different platforms that you kind of need to have that, that, uh, insight and that, that, or that foresight, sorry, um, of knowing like, you know, this image isn't just going to be for a print ad, but it could also be for Instagram. Exactly. And that was that, that moment is in, in the industry when that started to really shift and advertising was like, fuck, we need to like catch up with what's happening here in the media. That was the, uh, that's when I was hanging around. That was advertising for me. So I was really lucky in that my career almost mirrors the shift in the advertising industry and the way that it changed into digital. And I capitalized on the fact that people didn't know what what that was, what mm-hmm. that meant. And my youth was like, like I said, like the best currency I could have. I also kind of want to talk about, uh, I don't want to dig in too much more into MNC Sashi because, you know, you had such a, a, a vast career ahead of that mm-hmm. or after that, sorry, but was it at this time while you're at MNC Sashi that you also launched uh, This Doesn't Mean Yes? Um, it was actually, I left MNC. It was right after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I left MNC and I decided that, again, I just kind of followed what I wanted to do and then made it work after. I was like, I want to move to New York. Mm-hmm. I want to move to New York. I've decided. I feel like that's the next step for me. London was awesome. I felt like I'd done well in my job. I'd made a good name for myself in the industry. But I didn't feel challenged and I wanted to do something different and I'm lucky like I said been my boyfriend a long time and so it's a lot easier to be bold in those types of big life decisions when you have like a partner in crime someone to support exactly yeah, yeah. Just in case you fall exactly <laughs> yeah give you that confidence yeah. and so it was actually upon leaving MNC that I felt like I needed to pursue um like I felt like I'd learned what I needed to learn I had an amazing experience but I didn't necessarily make work that was important to me as a person like anything mm-hmm. mission driven um, and so I left and, and set that up with a group of friends and it was so, it, I mean, it was an amazing experience. It was kind of scary because I'd been part of this big corporate structure where you're very pr- protected. And then suddenly we were going to go and do this project on our own. And I remember calling up the charity, Rape Crisis UK, and kind of saying, we've got this pitch deck, I want to come pitch it to you. I mean, I'd always had like this big team at MNC Saatchi mm-hmm. do those things. So it was suddenly kind of going out and doing it alone, but it was amazing. It was so thrilling. So the partnership was very much 
almost like a cold call at the beginning. Oh, 100%. And yeah. And you kind of just went from there. Totally. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriends and I, like, there was four of us. Um, we all have very different expertise. Like, uh, one girl, like I said, is an illustrator and an agent, another a book editor, another a copywriter. So we were all kind of like, and then me, my, with my randomness of skills. Um, and so we were just, we got together and decided we wanted to do something. And it was in response to culture because an ad had come out. Um, and caused a bit of a stir in the UK. I believe the police put out an ad basically kind of insinuating like you had to look after your friends or they might get in trouble, like they, like therefore they might get raped. And it was mm-hmm. like, I think it, it kind of like caused a big stir on the internet because everyone was like, wait a minute, this is like implying like she has to make sure she doesn't get raped. Like, can we like deal with the root of this cause? Like, sure, right. are people just like not rape? Like, why yeah. are we like educating this girl on getting home safe? Um, and I think it was in response to that that we were like, wait a minute, we are all really well equipped with skills and a network here to like do something really cool. And this is something that we're passionate about. Um, and so, yeah, we put together a kind of pitch deck of like what we wanted to do. We, we went and we got their attention. We managed to meet with one of the like founders of the charity. I don't know how, no idea how. And, um, I remember meeting them nervously in King's Cross. I was wearing brand new black leather clogs. They rubbed my feet terribly and I like limped in and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> And we pitched so really strong. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're always slowly, like, yeah. into the <laughs> Exactly. Always over-delivering on the, on the outfit. Um, but yeah, we pitched it and they loved it. But I mean, they, they had no opportunity not to. We were saying, we want to give you all of our time, all of our expertise. We don't want any money from you. Mm-hmm. We just want you to say you want this. Um, and it was the most successful campaign that they've had. But yeah, it was amazing. Also, I think having spent quite a few years commissioning male photographers because obviously there are a lot more male photographers mm. because they're the star in advertising i also felt a sense of responsibility to make a comment about that commissioning and so um during that time i made relatively good friends with um peru who's a you know a well-known uh, male fashion photographer in london and he's very known for like big fashion campaigns um often you know very like sexualized women but mm-hmm. you know that's kind of the industry so it was amazing to partner with this big fashion photographer and get him to kind of change what his lens was doing and think a little more about like clothing and consent and portraiture and almost like by using a photographer who had historically objectified women through his imagery sure. and through the fashion industry and get him to shoot these women for a campaign that was around the fact that clothing can't give consent was really interesting to me and I think something that I needed to do having had worked in in advertising for a few years I felt like I needed to turn it on its head a little because advertising can be a little like oh it can like suck your soul a little you know yeah yeah absolutely I want to like give something I want to do something that's generous and obviously we used to do pro bono and charity campaigns and stuff at MNC but I was never really high up enough to like impact them Mm -hmm. so it was amazing to get that opportunity to really to really do that and I still, even though it was so long ago and it was such a scrappy campaign, it cost us hardly any money. And I remember standing out in Shoreditch in East London, like trying to pull girls into our photo booth, being like, please have your photo taken for our campaign that we're going to try and call viral. It was just like an amazing thrill. Like even like now when I think back, like that was like a highlight of my career because it was just like so pure in its intention. How important was it to take that leap of faith and just, you know, like you said, you didn't ask for any money. You didn't ask mm-hmm. for any kind of anything in return. But it sounded like there was a big payoff in the sense because it was something that you really believed in. Right. And it allowed you to kind of not hone your skills, but showcase your skills in a totally. way that lends itself to the better good. Completely. And I think that's when I got the like bug for that. I was like, oh my God, this feels so good. Mm-hmm. When you do something with such a pure intention and you use your skills and you're not kind of like boxing yourself into one craft, like I said, you're just kind of like 
doing what you need to do. Like, is it like you need to get this photographer? Okay, produce the shoot. Okay, we need to edit these things. Okay, is it going to be on the website? Sure, I'll do this a PR interview. I'll try and hustle and get it into, you know, the newspaper. Like suddenly using any skill I had, mm-hmm. I kind of, it, like, I, like I kind of said earlier, it just sort of like, it sets you free from feeling defined by, you know, the title, which is ironic. I know I now have like the most typical creative title, but I just mean it wasn't a, about, it wasn't about that. It was like about the output. And it was so special because it was like a group of friends who kind of came together and realized they could do it together. Like they could do it they, they, together. They were really powerful, mm-hmm. which I think is really nice. And also a really good example of if you, if you do, if you do a project that matters to you, people will like it versus like trying to like impress people from the outset. It's like, it's never, the output's never going to be very good. It goes back to that idea of like doing something cool for yourself. Yeah, sense. it's so true. <laughs> and then seeing like people like Zoe Deschanel like posted it on her Facebook and was like, this is important. That's awesome. And I was like, oh my God. This I've is made it. This is it. Done. I'm done. I'm quitting. Retired. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so you made the decision to move to New York. Was there any real driving sense that you wanted to go to New York for you know was it just like you wanted to change the pace or you want to change the scenery you said from London culture yeah that was that was it literally like I had always kind of followed what was scary to me like mm-hmm. going to London and like pushing myself to run a department even though I was really young and then like leaving my job and doing these sort of little personal projects and so I think New York for me felt scary and far away and um bigger than me Mm-hmm. And not that I had by any means conquered London, but I just meant <laughs> I am I'm done. I'm done here. <laughs> um, I just felt like um, I felt like London was safe, and we had like a lovely house, and we had a great group of friends. It sounds so so. I sound like to just say this, but like it was almost like everything was too good, mm-hmm. and like we could have you know saved up and bought a house, and like sure. had a kid, and I would have worked my way up in an ad agency, and that would have been great. But I felt like I wanted to challenge myself more as a person and keep growing as a person versus as a, just the professional within a framework. Yeah. And so New York felt scary and cool. Like my mum took me to New York when I was a kid and I was just like, wow, I felt like in awe of how big it was and how small it made me feel. Yeah. Clearly I, that's something that I follow. You, um, you landed and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, wrong. You landed as a brand aesthetics director mm-hmm. at Anomaly, which yeah. is an agency. Yeah. So brand aesthetics. Yeah. What does that what mean? What is that? Into- yeah. I, I, no idea. I kinda, I'm sure I have somewhat of an idea, but I'd love for you to yeah. kind of dig in. I mean, in a similar way that visual content is like the most confusing hybrid between like an art director and a designer and then a kind of strategist. Mm-hmm. It was again, just, just see the way that my career like maps that like eternal struggle of like agencies wanting to try and find a way to define me mm-hmm. and not knowing which department to put me in. And so Anomaly actually being very much an anti-advertising agency. Um, I don't know how much you know about Anomaly, but it's an incredible ad agency. Like they wouldn't even call themselves that. They are like very creatively driven, very innovative, like from like IP deals to like rethinking the way that um, you partner with a brand, like just super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And had amazing clients and amazing people working there. Like the leadership there is like very inspiring. Like a lot of the original guys um, from Nike and a guy called Kevin Lyons, who is kind of oh, like my Kevin mentor Lyons. now. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. His work. I I, I remember, I, I love his work, but I, um, I think on the way to work, actually on the way to work one day, I thought I saw the back or like the profile of his face and I was <laughs> like, iconic. oh my God, it's Kevin Lyons. And I didn't have the chance. The doors had just closed and I like tweeted him. I was like, Kevin, were you just on the F train? <laughs> 
And he was like, yeah, that was probably me. So never, funny. never have we ever met. Never have we ever face to face. And that I was just like, that was so definitely Kevin funny. Lyons. He's iconic. With that crazy white beard. Mm-hmm. Always wearing shorts, even though it's really, really cold. Um, but he's, he's amazing. And so, yeah, like Anomaly was like obvious, like obviously they have an amazing, much smaller, um, kind of like arm in London mm-hmm. and somebody from MNC who I'd worked closely with. Um, I believe she was like MD at MNC. She went over to run Anomaly London. And so I, I was honest with her. Like we went for a gin and tonic and I was like, listen, I want to move to New York. Can you help me? I know Anomaly is in New York and you run the London office. Like, can you like connect me? Like, what's the deal? And she was incredible. Camilla Harrison, a very inspiring woman, super smart. And she was like, come work for Anomaly London for like six months um, while we like figure it out. And she set me up with an interview. I had like a telephone interview with Anomaly New York and they agreed to, while I was sort of getting my visa, they agreed to um, let me work at Anomaly London on American accounts. So I started working with the New York team. That's cool. Yeah, it was amazing. And actually during my interview process, they were like, oh, so who are you moving to New York with? And I was like, oh, my like boyfriend, like where he's like a creative technologist, like he can code, he's a product designer. And they were like, great, we'll hire him too. <laughs> so they hired him as That's well. Awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and so they moved us both here. But um, I think your original question was, what is the, what was that title about? And I think it was a few months of me working like with the designers and working with the creative directors. And I was kind of doing presentations on like things that cultural relevancy or trends or visual trends to consider, or like working with the design directors and helping them shape a look and feel for a brand. And so I was very much hopping around all these different mm-hmm. departments, trying to like um, find my value because I knew I had one, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't know um, moving into a new sort of space, like a new ad, ad agency that, that kind of like championed people who were a little mm-hmm. bit of everything was, was great for me. I mean, again, though, I, I got there and I was like very nervous because I knew I wasn't an art director and I knew I couldn't get briefed the same as everyone else. But it was a lot easier because Rue, my boyfriend, was also like that. You could code, you could kind of make 3D things, you could connect the internet to physical things. <laughs> and he was like all about Arduino and shit. And we were just like this weird <laughs> little couple. And so actually what ended up happening is they partnered us, which was like amazing for work, but like kind of weird because like we moved to New York, we had no friends. Sure, yeah. We knew no one. And then we were like creative partners at work. Um, but yeah, so like in an ad agency, everyone's a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were made into a team and we just used to take all the like weird briefs, anything fashion, innovation, tech, anything like a bit weird. So like, come up with something. Right. Like figure it out. And we were that, we were that <laughs> team. And so through, again, through being like the oddballs, we were, that was our like thing. And so that title I think was an attempt. It couldn't be brand director because it's like, well, that makes you sound like a suit. That makes you sound oh, like yeah. a business person, which I am not. Um, and they didn't want it to be like design director because like I don't I can't I don't know how to do that. Yeah, designing necessarily. No, and then strategy means that you're like oh, so you can like analyze data and you understand comms. No, not that either. So it was just one. I remember having like a whole page of them in a Google Doc, and the ECD was like, <laughs> let's go with that one. <laughs> yeah, and I know it's it's crazy because like even when when I was interviewing at Refinery, Pierre, um, the founder of Refinery, was like, "What's that title about though?" And I was just like, "I don't really know." I'm okay with that. As much as um, you know, you you've kind of mentioned a couple of times that like you know you you aren't necessarily a designer because you don't know like I don't know if there's even like a physical movement or physical kind of quality about a designer. In a sense. Right. It's it's really just like craft. But like what I kind of respect about your work is that you put you know design can be is more thinking in my totally. mind, which doesn't necessarily disqualify you from being a designer. So right. like I think like it's very much the quality of being able to articulate and communicate those kind of uh, feelings, whatever that may be, or the brief, the, the 
KPIs, like yeah, it's yeah. that That's kind of creative thinking um, that I think is more valuable than actually, you know, moving <laughs> craning type or totally. moving things around. Well, I realized that though, after years of having these weird titles that I was like, oh wait, there are thousands of designers and there's mm. just one of me and that's I need to feel really good about that because for years I had such bad imposter syndrome of like you're not excellent at anything you're just good at everything mm. you're just like a little bit good at design you're a little bit good at copywriting you kind of understand strategy and that was always challenging for me but I have learned to embrace that and it's much better now has there any has there been anything that kind of helped you get over that in a sense like things that may not be obvious to yeah. people yeah definitely I think realizing that the structures in which you work in like the place that employs you isn't the world Mm -hmm. so like you know working for a a shop like Anomaly where you know to be honest like Kevin is incredibly inspiring Kevin Lyons like he's obviously an amazing illustrator and he's he's like a creative hybrid through and through like he can copyright he's great at strategy like he's an amazing designer he's great with type but like he doesn't box himself in he just like he lets his work speak for him he lets his work define his contribution Mm -hmm. And I think being around people like that made me realize that my work could speak for me and that would be my contribution. I didn't have to introduce myself with like whatever my title was or whatever my craft was. So that helped a lot. Um, moving to New York helped a lot. Like mm-hmm. to be honest, like in New York, London is a little more like straight laced. Like they like to like know what you are, what you're not. Like I think that's the kind of the British way. <laughs> Whereas I think New York is kind of like you be who you want to be. Be mm-hmm. who you want to be on a Monday, change by Friday if you like. You know, it doesn't really matter. And I think... I'm really, I'm really glad that I moved, I moved to New York for, for a lot of reasons, but that's definitely one of them. I've done a lot of like self, like I've done a lot of self growth here mm-hmm. where I've realized my value and I've realized that you don't need to define it in those like traditional terms. You're at Refinery 29 now, and as yeah. you said, you, you've made that title creative director kind of now. Right? Yeah, it. it's kind of almost full circle. It is. What is, what are, what are the things that you're focusing on now as a creative director mm-hmm. at Refinery 29? Like, are there any big initiatives or projects that is kind of the uh, backbone of, of anything that you guys do there? So Refinery is just the most wonderful place to work. It celebrates people who are passionate about the mission, which is... Um, you know, to enable women to feel, see and clean their power. That's like why we get out of bed every day. That's why we go. And it's so amazing working for a mission-driven brand, especially because a lot of my personal work has been centered around like gender equality and like feminist issues. And so coming to a space where I'm able to work with brands and get brands to partner with us as a company has been like dream come true. It's basically my whole career has been culminating in this moment. So yeah, a big part of my role um, working as creative director of is I help oversee any of the brand partnerships that we do. So Refinery obviously is an editorial company. We're Mm. a .com. We are a digital media company. We do events, train our rooms. We have a lot of um, mission-based initiatives. Like last year, we did a big thing around body diversity called 67%. And so as a company, we are like constantly expanding our ecosystem, our digital ecosystem. So we have teams that specialize in like Facebook Live, from Instagram to Snapchat, it's, it's massive. Like, it's like, we like to say like Disneyland for millennial women, it's huge. <laughs> but because of that, I'm kind of lucky in that my role means I'm trying to connect brands with our audience and be the translator for those brands. So it's like working at an ad agency, only like everyone already wants to look at my stuff. Everyone already like is hanging out with my work. And I've never mm. been more accountable for creating good stuff because I have an audience now, like a baked in audience who expects anything that I make with a brand, so say you know, H&M collaborating with Refinery29, here's a load of videos, here's an event activation, here's a partnership. That 
basically now is um, being measured success-wise by this audience which is super cool. Like I've always like pitched, got into brand pitches and been mm. like, we are going to work with you. This is the campaign. But now I do that and I'm like, oh, and we're from Friday 29 and we already have like millions of millennial women who like trust us and come to us yeah. for this amazing content. So like, if you want to partner with us, that's smart for you. Mm. You know, you pitch with so much more authority, but then your ideas are held way more accountable. I feel like in sure, my agency, yeah. I used to like launch stuff into the world and be like, that's going to look awesome in my book. And I don't give a fuck what happens <laughs> after that. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, you really are tied to like something, you know, having an ROI and it being successful for a brand and it either driving to a sale or it, you know, encouraging a consumer to like think differently about something like brand awareness or brand perception. But first and foremost, I'm servicing an audience and these women come to refinery because it's a trusted source. You know, they see themselves in the images. They know that we're not going to serve them any bullshit. Like I'm never going to sell them anything. I'm just going to be like, it's, we say service, not sell, which I think is a good example of like, if I'm going to bring you a brand and I'm going to talk to you about a trend, for example, yeah. it's always going to be through the lens of this might be a smart idea, but if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Sure. You know, it's, it's very much like you're kind of the, the filter from, because you have that audience and they are very, uh, I don't want to say reliant, but like they expect, yeah. you know, they have an expectation totally. of like you're bringing them something that they want and it's not just like bullshit, you know, to be 100%. honest. But um, that's very much kind of what sounds like the, you know, it's like the double-edged sword. You know, you have this audience and they're there, but, you know, brands can just, they just can't throw money for anything. Completely. And it's like that conscious marketing, like brands know they need to be contributing to the world in a meaningful way Mm -hmm. and speaking to consumers about what matters to them, like, you know, things that are happening in culture, things that are like important to them, like aligning with causes that are important to them. But I think... Because Refinery's already been doing that for, like, over a decade. Like, we partnered with the Women's March, and, you know, we partnered with Planned Parenthood between our rooms. Like, because we've already just been doing that for, like, like I said, over a decade, it doesn't feel insincere when a brand partner was, partners with us then. Because, because it's like, well, we're already speaking to her in this way. We already have this belief system. So as a brand, if you want to, like, start to speak to her like that, then you can come and do it in a safe space. Because I think sometimes brands get scared. Like, silence is, like, scary now for a brand. If a brand doesn't speak, it's like, why are you hiding? Yeah. You know? So... And people, like, almost want uh, more personality from these, like, brands that at one time were faceless, right? 100%. And that, I think, is really tough. Like, especially when you look at brave, nimble brands, like, you know, like, everyone's going to be, like, the Glossiers. Like, that's, like, a great example. And, like... You know, fair play. They know exactly what... Every day they, like, shift with their consumer. Outdoor Voice is another great example. Outdoor Voice is, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, knowing that their brand was speaking to, like, a style consumer and then seeing that maybe the quality of the product wasn't as good as it could be compared to, like, hardcore competitors, you Mm. know? And then realizing that, actually, if they spoke to the consumer and got them to inform the design, that was also smart. It's, like, agile and nimble. And I think Mm. it's hard when you're a massive brand that's been around for a long time... To, to, to make those moves. And I think Refinery gives you a safe space to do that. And I'm really proud of that fact. Like, I love the fact that I work with brands and I help them connect with women in a way that's meaningful for women. I also want to kind of, I mean, you, I think you've mentioned two of my, some of my favorites, Outdoor Voices, and then you mentioned Glossier. Mm. You know, in terms of design, like, I oh, yes, constantly definitely. look at, but I also want to mention Billy, which I think has been super amazing in yeah. terms of the design, not yeah. only, but, like, having that message, having that voice of, you know, making a stand for what they believe in and you can either agree with it or just don't buy our product because we don't care. Totally. But that's, like I said, though, that's so brave mm. to be like, like us or don't. 
And I think a lot of massive companies that have been around for a really long time are like, what do I do now? Yeah, like, they're like terrified. Yeah, and I think there are some brands, I think, that have um, been very successful in realizing the industry has shifted. Like Gucci, when you think about Gucci, it's a heritage brand. Mm, yeah. Um, and you think about the way that they're now behaving like a startup. Like, they're activating, like, an internet community to create their advertising. That's, like, no product integration. It's just, like, pure, like... It contributing to culture in an interesting way and see and playing that long game and then watching the like you know gen z quite frankly buy their product which is extraordinary to me yeah. mm -hmm. because I, I mean i know that they're still an expensive product but i think they've really like found a way to like speak to a young audience and talk about quality and even like their donation to gun control like just smart moves that feel sincere they don't feel tokenistic mm -hmm. or like they've just cast someone for the for the sake of being diverse like, it just feels like, yeah, I think I, I often say, like, brands, it's, it's easy to do the right thing. You just got to do it every day. Yeah. Because you can't do it once. <laughs> you can't have it. No. So. And you have to continue the conversation then. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's insincere. It's very true. I think um, it's, that, like, rings true even to, like, when I was a kid. You know, my dad would say, like, don't just half-ass it. Right. Like, if you're going to so, do it, do it do the it best possibly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I had asked on social media, on Instagram, at wellfed.us, um, <laughs> you know, if they had any questions for you. And a bunch of them popped up and some really good ones. And I think segues really nicely from Refinery29 being very service-driven and supportive um, of, of young female, mm -hmm. you know, creatives, talent, business um, entrepreneurs. Um, some One of the questions was, do you have any advice for women out there starting their own business? Oof, that's so good. <laughs> a piece of advice would be, I mean, I wish I could say firsthand, I would love to have my own business one mm -hmm. day. I think I would definitely say find your people, like find your like group of people that can be your support system and be really open to like asking people for help. I, I've recently got a bit better at this. Like I used to be like very proud and want to like figure it all out on my own. Mm -hmm. So it's quite an independent thinker, especially during my 20s where I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. But I definitely think that there's strength in seeking out people you admire and seeking out people who are in a similar position as you and almost like banding together, kind of like stronger together. Mm -hmm. I'm part of a really cool network called Her, and it's kind of like women in the industry. Mm -hmm. Who started um, that? It was started by a few women. It started in Sweden, I believe. Um, a girl called Baba. Uh, my friend Sophia is also co-running it. Um, and Marika. There's a, there's a few girls. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all incredibly inspiring, amazing businesswomen. Baba has her own agency now called Buy Baba. Um, but they they started off this. And it actually, at first I was nervous. I was like, I don't know about this. Like, go in and like talking to each other about like how successful we are or could be. Like, I just feel nervous about that idea. I'm definitely like an introvert who like wears an extrovert, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but actually I went along and it was it's an incredibly um, open like space that you go around the table and like, you ask questions of things that you could you need help with at work and it's all obviously confidential or things you might want to do next and I found so much um I've, I've just been so inspired by how like supportive other women are of, of each other because I think typically women especially in the industries that I've been in like advertising um super male dominated there's mm -hmm. only really room for like one or two women at the top they, those women are going to be ruthless and kind of masquerade as men together sure. and so women are always very competitive with each other which is such a shame because actually, if we just helped each other out, it would be a lot easier. It's like you're fighting for the same totally. pedestal or you know, pedestal. Exactly. And I think that's definitely dropping. Like, in the last couple of years, there's a lot more um, help and support and funding out there for women specifically. It's almost like 
having been left out all this time is now going to like give us an opportunity. But I would say seek out those people that you can call on. Like mentors don't have to be people that are like 20 years your senior and like already running a multi-billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. They can be peers who are also starting their own thing. Um, and so, yeah, I found from the herd in us, it's been great. Like I was sat next to this amazing girl called Polly who started this sex toy brand called, oh, what's it called? Unbound, Unbound Babes. And she's amazing. Like this girl just like started her company, like worked on her product for years. Like I started hiring people, got funding, like pitched. And I was sat next to her intimidated by her mm-hmm. success. And then upon speaking to her, I realized that she was just like, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just figuring <laughs> it out. She's like, yeah. I figured it out. And then I went and did this and I did that and I, and I fucked up, tried again. And I think humanizing your experience and realizing that it's not your struggle, it's a shared struggle can only help, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would say seek out mentors that are your, you know, peers. And know that the network of women who are doing that want to all help each other, I think. I had another question that I thought definitely is evidence from the conversation that we've had pertaining to this question, but um, it was how do you find a job that is artistically fulfilling and financially uh, rewarding. Such a hard question. <laughs> and, I, you know, I think, like, um, a lot of what you have talked about today has been in that same kind of thought. But, you know, maybe, uh, obviously, I want you to answer this, but it's almost like you never really were looking for both of those. It was yeah. so much more on the one side. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And I feel like that's a really annoying answer. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was asking that question, I'd be irritated by this answer. So, like, a polls in advance. <laughs> but I feel like it's something like people, we're all seeking out originality and original thought and authenticity. That's, like, all anyone wants, like, across all industries. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're an illustrator or you're a set designer or whether you want to be an art director, like, you need to be trying to find your individual truth, your style. It's super hard because we're so saturated by images and I am like very much a making of all the things that inspire me. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. But um, it's easy to get lost inside the uh, the ambition to try and, you know, make money and live, live your life um, without getting lost and making work that isn't really truly you. And in truth, that's what started to happen at the end of MNC. I was like, I'm doing good, but like, I'm really liking this work. Sure. Like, I'm not really about this work. Like I'm enjoying meeting these awesome artists, which is why I then, as a kind of reaction from that, did um, This Doesn't Mean Yes and some work at Anomaly with um, an amazing creative director, Alex Holder. We, we partnered with Elle magazine and we did this great video called More Women, which is actually about women being less competitive. Um, and so work like that really was like important to me. So I was kind of like, in, to give you a, a brutally truthful answer, I was working in a job that was like, allowed me to be creative every day, but I wasn't fulfilling my like truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was making money, like enough money. And then I, when, once I started seeking out work that I actually was passionate about and creatively fulfilled me, was actually then when my career took off and I did well. Mm-hmm. So such an annoying answer, but like <laughs> do the work that is your tr- your truth, mm-hmm. like make work that you're proud of that makes you feel like you're contributing to this planet and someone will pay you for it, which is such a horrible answer. And um, I think like, um, oh, I'm sorry. Go I was just going to say, and like the exciting thing is, I think like when I first started, like 10 years ago, it was like, cool. So I want to work with photographers and I need to make money to stay in London or I got to move back to Wales. So like advertising and it's not like that anymore. Like there are so many incredible like startups, creative agencies, mm-hmm. like creative studios. Like I think now, and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm in New York or I'm older, but I think there are so many more opportunities to have like entry level positions or positions that are like in creative environments that let you like do your thing. I think like, you know, being able to ask questions 
through Instagram and, and having them submitted is, is like a prime example of, of using a platform to kind of, uh, as you were saying, like creating the work that you want to do, you totally. know, um, and you're constantly looking at artists and other photographers. So, you know, on the flip side of that question of artistically fulfilling and, and financially rewarding, you mm -hmm. know, since you're commissioning a lot of artists, how are they, or how are people, how would you say is the best way to get the attention of say someone like you, a creative director or someone that is in that position that's commissioning and, mm. and looking to kind of use someone else's ideas or execution? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, unfortunately I'm a little more removed from the commissioning process than I mm. used to be just because of my role. now is a lot more like managing a lot of people. Mm. Um, but the girls that oversee design and photo and the photo editors and the photo directors, I mean, they keep me very up to date on stuff and they're always seeking out cool people. Um, my own experiences with commissioning, I think if you're, if you make fucking cool work, it will get seen and get out there. Like there are amazing, um, this amazing editor in the UK, her name's Jen Fletcher. You should, if you're a photographer, you should follow her on Instagram because her Instagram is amazing. And it has like so many up and coming photographers. She's a real like fountain of like cool talent. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I've commissioned through Instagram before, which I think speaks to the power of that platform mm -hmm. like why would you not want to be in front of a commissioner's eyes every day that's sure. where i'm going to be inspired so like and that's where i'm going to like chill and like <laughs> and like absorb creativity so like it's like at it. all times at all times of the day totally kind of thing. exactly but i'm a big believer that if you make cool work and you don't compromise you know obviously too much i i, I can i speak for photography specifically because that's my background but like i used to say to photographers i know you need to make money and you need to take those commercial jobs but like that shit doesn't need to go anywhere near your book or anywhere near your Instagram. Like keep that away and just keep making personal work. I actually managed a um, photographer and he was Maisie Cousins for a couple of years. It's a kind of like side project. Mm -hmm. Just I wanted to see if I could do it. Maisie is incredibly talented. Maisie Cousins, you should check her out. Um, but I found her on Instagram and I just DM'd her and I was like, this is a bit weird. I'm an art buyer. Like I commission photographers, but I would love to help you and represent you and get you jobs and like help you shape your portfolio and like brand you basically and help you out. Um, I did that for a few years and she's now with like a big fancy agency. So I feel really happy that she's like flown the nest and done so well. Um, but I think being on the other side, I learned a lot about like Maisie when she was doing her best work that was kind of like not commercial work, nothing that I pushed her into really stuff that she was just like had to make because mm -hmm. she couldn't not make it. That, that, was, that was the work that people like, it got people's attention, you know? And then it was like, I didn't even have to like ask I wasn't like hey Daisy, could you mind running this work they were like already done can I have the files sure. so like the work will travel if it's good mm. um and commissioners will be inspired by that because because the thing is when you cold email or like you send like newsletters or like um anything in the post or in the mail like that stuff I think that, that probably used to work mm. but it just doesn't now I feel like it just falls and I always feel like this hideous sense of guilt that somebody is paid to like print their stuff and like send sure. it into you and I don't believe that they cut through i don't think that they disrupt the office space and mm. make people actually like think about their work if anything it tells me that that person is like busy doing that and not busy making fucking cool work mm. that i'm going to read about on all my favorite blogs so yeah i would definitely focus on the work and focus focus less on like kind of advertising yourself sure um which i definitely think was a thing like back in the day when i was an art buyer People used to send like crazy. Like I remember once getting like a helium balloon in a box mm -hmm. and then the next day getting a print of a helium balloon. <laughs> and it was like, it was funny and cheeky, but like now I think it would just feel like cheesy. Really? Yeah. Cause it's like, why are you feeling like you have to advertise yourself? Focus on the shooting amazing work. Mm -hmm.
So yeah, I can't remember the original question. <laughs> what well, was it? I think you know again, still it still goes back to like our very first few questions or things that we talked about. It's like make stuff that is cool to you, exactly. and at some point, you know, it'll attract eyes. And it doesn't have to be, you know, whether. I mean, I, I still, I love to live by this idea. It's just like, do it for yourself first. Mm-hmm. And whether it's five people or it's whether those people have no money or whether they work at a big agency, like just be persistent and continue to kind of stay true to what you believe in that message. I completely agree. And I think artists, illustrators, photographers, whoever, that bounce between different styles in an attempt to get commissioned by whomever they're emailing mm-hmm. that week, it's so obvious and I think that lack of clarity in their body of work, it like screams because mm-hmm. then it feels like they're just, they're anybody's, you know, True. they've seen something cool and then they've tried to kind of copy that. They've seen that Gucci's doing this hyper-realistic painterly thing and they're kind of doing that a bit now, but it's like, why you should be telling me what the next thing is. Yeah. Show me what the next, next thing is going to be because I'm only ever going to go to the original for that. You know, okay. like there was a real wave of, of um, photographers back at, um, in London who were kind of doing the like heavy set design Tim Walker thing. And it's like, guys, we're never going to, that's never, it's never going to be you for that. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to go to the original. You know, I want to close out with one thing. And I, I think this was the, um, I think the, as, I'm, as I was you know, doing research, doing my homework and, and looking up the background and your experience, the one thing that I, I found to admire so much is that you've really kind of, not consciously, but you've crafted this like strong personal brand mm-hmm. about, you know, what you do how you do it, you know, everything. And, and I want to know, if you'd be so kind, mm-hmm. how important you think that's played a role in kind of, you know, where you've arrived today? Yeah, I think I would love to say that it hasn't played a role and it's just like, it hasn't been, it hasn't been important because I feel like the whole idea of like self-branding and the personal brand is just like, makes you cringe a little bit these days. Mm-hmm. But like, it's been massive. It's been significant because I think, I've shown that I can brand myself, so I must be good at branding. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I think people that want to be in the creative industry, like your first canvas is yourself. So like, you know, you should think about like the things that, are, that you surround yourself with, be it clothing, your spaces, the people you surround mm-hmm. yourself with, how you're communicating, who you are and what you believe, your belief system to the world. And I think, Although the idea of the self-brand just instantly makes you think about a girl with like a coconut and avo toast on like Instagram, it's like that it's not it's not that for a creative. If you're a, if you're a maker and you actually want to like contribute something to the creative industry, I actually think it's super important. And it has been massive for me. It has. And I've been really conscious about it. And I'm okay with that. I feel like I don't I don't want to try and pretend like, you know, I just threw my website together. It's not a big deal. And like my Instagram is just like a personal blog for me. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal to me. Like, I feel like the way that I have presented myself, both in how I look, like I've always been like the weirdo in the room. It's like, she seems to be into fashion. Give her that brief. That's worked out well for me. You know, making sure that my website reflected my things that inspire me, my belief systems. I'm very like clear about putting what my personal mission is on there. Like I say on there, I want to work in, you know, helping brands and using communication as a vehicle for positive messages. Cause I have, I believe that that is something that is valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of stating that that's important to me and being confident enough to put it out there is like tough, but also something that people gravitate towards. I think people gravitate towards people with conviction. Mm -hmm. Like ambition as well. Exactly. And I think as well, like I always think that metaphor about somebody that is like, 
you know, the house is on fire and somebody is like, I know exactly where we're going. Like, you follow that guy. You follow the person that seems to know what they're doing. And like, even though I've definitely been figuring it out along the way, I've been very like assertive about the things I do know from for always. Mm-hmm. I've always, you know, put my hands up and said that I'm like a hybrid creative that is a kind of a bit of everything. And I, I've owned that. I make sure that anything that I touch, you know, be it my website, my Instagram, even my resume or the way I applied for Anomaly, I wrote this like page about like, why you need to hire me? And it was like, a little bit assertive and a little bit attitude. It was like, we're going to make beautiful babies. Like you've got all this shit going on. I know this stuff. Like together we could make beautiful work. Mm -hmm. So like your call, you know, and I think having that confidence in the way that I've presented myself has helped me. Definitely. I think that people, especially creative people and makers are often like quite shy and retiring. Like I think like a lot of the designers who are incredibly talented, who I've met along the way are often people that, find it hard to then present their work you know they can make something beautiful but then selling it in or like making sure that the their exact creative director gets it that's like another skill mm-hmm. and I think I like I said a long time ago realized I wasn't that maker and I was never going to be able to sit there and craft a piece of typography I wish I was that girl I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. and so I've had to really lean into what I was really good at and um, showing that I could brand myself um, has helped me then say well I can brand your your brand or I can work for you and do that for you with with the same precision and the same like pointed attitude you know we're going into 2019 Mm -hmm. we're going to be closing out soon are you looking to do anything before the new year you know and then is there anything going into the new year that you're you know excited about or planning on working on or you know it it could be anything you know I I, trying like a new ramen or something right right yeah yeah um actually I'm really excited about um this a personal project that I have going on right now, kind of speaking to like the whole theme of this conversation, which is making for yourself. Like I love my job. I have an incredible job, but it's, you know, high pressure and mm-hmm. it's working with a lot of massive brands, um, big budgets, timelines, a lot of people to manage. And I'm, like I said, I'm a young manager and I have really found a lot of solace and confidence going back to doing something super simple. So actually a couple of months ago, I decided to do this project called dead flowers which I just branded myself. Mm -hmm. Like it was like really fun. Like I made an Instagram, started making some images with friends and basically I've just been upcycling dead flowers, like trashed flowers from like the flower market or from Mm -hmm. events and creating like sets out of them. And I'm no set designer, but it's been really fun to do something with my hands and to make. In fact, I had a photo shoot yesterday at my house and I love that the whole purpose of it is nothing. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just for me. And so I'm really enjoying like discovering different sides of my creativity. It's been fun producing shoots again. I've done that in a long, long time. It's been really fun partnering with friends who are really creative. And um, I'm hoping to do a window. Something I really want to do before uh, the end of the year. I realize there's only a month left, but I really want to do like a window set. Mm -hmm. That'd be really cool. So I've done a couple of shoots now where I've made these installations of like big dead flowers. Um, But I really want to do a window. So that's something I'm setting myself. It's funny because I work, like I said, in such a like amazing, amazing company. And I know I'm, I'm, you know, lucky to have such a, such a creative job and work with so many inspiring women, but actually I crave just a little sort of humble output of my own that I'm like, that's for no reason other than fun. I want to do it. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Um, where can people find more of dead flowers and, and yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my Instagram at Lydia underscore pang underscore. And then on there you'll see, um, my dead flowers Instagram account where I'm just like documenting myself trying to like brand it myself like drying flowers and like the shoots that I do um and those images should be coming out soon so yeah always using Instagram as a place to like 
for all of that. Lydia, thank you so much for chatting with me today. So fun, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of WellFed. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and made possible by all the amazing people that agree to be my guests on this thing. Music is also provided by my friend Kevin Bendis out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. If you have any suggestions or ideas for people that you'd like to hear from, go ahead and DM them to me on Instagram at wellfed.us. If you like listening, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go to the website wellfed.us for more episodes. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye!